We're in the Gospel of Mark and we're in chapter 5. We're going to begin, begin reading here in a few moments in verse 21. Just to kind of review briefly while you're finding your place, Mark 5, 21. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at that passage when Jesus was crossing the Sea of Galilee and coming from west to east, and they were in a great storm, so much of a storm that the water was actually coming into the boat. They were in danger of capsizing, and and they made it over to the east side only to be met by a a man from Gadara, a Gadarene, who was possessed with many devils. And we studied the last couple of weeks about how Jesus set that man free and they came and found him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. After ministering to that man, Jesus got back in the boat and traveled back across the Sea of Galilee is where we'll find our, our reading today. And so he's crossing the sea back toward the other side. Let's stand together, please, in Mark five twenty one. And follow along as I read this passage. We're, gonna, we're not going to finish this passage today, but it's, we're going to look at two outstanding miracles. All miracles are outstanding, I would say. But uh, these two passages uh, really remind us of what God can do in the, in the atmosphere, the climate in which He works. But in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side... Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, And was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, you know, people need to hear about Jesus. People need to know what Jesus has done and can do. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Twelve long, torturous years, she's dealt with this affliction. And she knew it's gone. Imagine And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? I mean, how are we going to know what one person touched you? But her, her touch was different. 
And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. We'll stop reading there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. We're encouraged just reading it. It edifies us, it helps us, it strengthens us. We thank you for it. We pray that you would just continue, Lord, to strengthen us through the promises of your word and through the actions, the deeds that we read about and how you work. Help us to learn together today of our great Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We see here these two uh, completely different uh, examples of people who desperately needed the Lord's help. Two desperate situations. And we're going we're gonna to spend our time, the main part of our time, on talking about the second one, which is the woman, because she was the first one to get help. But let's just introduce it by just reminding ourselves, the first one has to do with this man Jairus and his concern, beginning in verse 22, for his daughter. Now it tells us he was a ruler of the synagogue. The synagogues were local places of Jewish worship and local government, and he was actually a leader, an authority in one of those synagogues. And I think it's worth remembering that the Jewish community, especially the upper echelon, were not always on board as fans of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I was reading yesterday, reminded in John chapter 9, they made this decree basically that if anybody verbalized that Jesus was the Christ, they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. In other words, that's kind of what the mentality was in the synagogue. This man was a leader in the synagogue, and it seems to me anyway that it would not be easy for him to come to Jesus for help. But he's a desperate man. And he fell, the Bible says in verse 22, at the feet of Jesus. Now, it uh, doesn't tell us here in Mark, but Luke's gospel tells us that he w- this, ma- this daughter was his only daughter. It tells us later in this passage and also in Luke that she was about 12 years old. So here's a man, his only daughter, 12 years old, and she's in a bad place. Verse 23 says, he besought him greatly. This man falls on his face and he's passionately and persistently talking to Jesus, begging Jesus, pleading with Jesus. And look how he describes her condition in verse 23. My little daughter lieth at the point of death. He was desperate. He was desperate. Any parent could put themselves in this situation. Any any person who says, I've got a daughter, I've got a son, there was not an exaggeration. You say, well, maybe they were just embellishing and exaggerating. No, by the time this woman got her needs met, the daughter had died. She was at the point of death. It was a desperate situation. The second desperate situation was this woman we read about a moment ago. She's got this health issue that has plagued her for 12 years. This hemorrhage that was destroying her life. And we can only imagine the physical, but also the emotional strain 
that plagued her for 12 long years. Verse 26 describes her experience saying that she suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. From one doctor to another, one treatment to another, only to remain in this place of desperation. She tried everything, every recommended treatment, only to stay where she was. And the Bible just just says very plainly, very simply, helps us really understand the desperation she was in. She was nothing better. After all that, she had only grown worse. So we have here two desperate situations, a man with a dying daughter and a woman who's not only in, in great physical infirmity, but she's now bankrupted herself, trying to find help for her need. Like I said, since the woman is helped first, we'll study her. But the first thing I want us to do is just think about this thing that these two stories had in common. Both of these people were desperate. By the way, if you think about it, both of them, I don't think you could ever find a way to disprove what I'm about to say. It was their desperation that brought them to Jesus. Had this man not had this daughter who was on her deathbed, if this woman did not have this incurable disease, they would not have come to Jesus. Now, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking, you know, we, we treat a place of desperation like a place we would never want to be, right? Nobody wants to be in that place. But desperation sometimes could be considered our friend. Both of these situations had that in common. By the way, Jesus, Jesus specialized in this, right? I mean, wouldn't you, but he just got back from the eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee where he helped this man with a legion of demons. I'd say that man's pretty desperate, wouldn't you? On the way to, the, on the way to where that man lived, he was in a storm so bad that the water was taking the boat under. I'd think that was a pretty desperate situation. It just seems like desperation is something that Jesus specializes in. What does it mean to be desperate? Sometimes I consult my 1828 dictionary, of Noah Webster's dictionary, to get an older definition. He said, desperation means to be without hope. Despair. He used the word irrecoverable. Something, a situation you could never come back from. I never thought about this till yesterday. The word desperation and despair sound alike. We heard the word despair in two songs this morning. Despair, desperation. Matter of fact, both of them come from the same root. To be desperate is, means you're in despair. And modern definitions give a lot of different words and synonyms to describe what desperation means. It means distressed, discouraged, downcast, Defeated, distraught, impossible to deal with, grave. Desperation or despair describes the place where it seems that help and hope have disappeared. I think most of us would say we don't like being in a desperate place. 
I always like to think I can figure a way out. I can out I can outlive this storm. It will get better. There's something about the fear of realizing that all of your options are gone. For this man whose 12-year-old daughter was breathing her last breaths, all other hope was gone. For this woman who had bankrupted herself, emptied her account, seen every possible doctor, tried every possible remedy, there was no other hope. I mean, who wants to be on the verge of hopelessness? Now, I would venture to say this morning that most of us have some problem we're dealing with, but few of us are at the place where it's hopeless, right? Desperation is hopelessness. I mean, Jesus heals hurting people, but nobody wants to hurt. (laughs) Jesus fixes broken lives, but none of us want to be broken. These people were desperate. I'm, I'm... I'm thinking this morning that there's certain instincts, maybe it's a survival instinct, but there's certain instincts that try to keep us from desperation. We don't want to get to the place that these people were. By the way, you don't have to just be desperate about a physical need. Sometimes we ought to be desperate about where we are spiritually. You know, if a person's lost, if a person's not saved, they are on the verge of eternal damnation. That's a pretty serious place to be. But we don't like to think of it in that terms. I want to give you one of these instincts, I think, that sometimes keeps us from desperation, and it's denial. It's really, we want to, we want to act like, well, it's really not all that bad. You know, it's, it may be bad, but it's, it's not all that bad. You know, and denial sort of couples with presumption. It's probably going to get better soon. And all that keeps us from a place of desperation. I was uh, studying yesterday and went out on the deck, the back deck, to look out in the backyard. And I noticed one of our fruit trees um, was looking sickly. And the leaves were turning brown. And sure enough, I went out and investigated and one, we have a couple of apple trees out there, and I know y'all are concerned about my orchard, so I'm just telling you. One of, one of them is the leaves were almost brown. The leaves are almost brown. They're still that way, I'm sure. The other one, the leaves have all these spots on them, and it's because of some kind of an insect that's making them unhealthy. Um, so when I saw that, I, I thought, I've got several options The first option is to say, well, it's probably nothing really to worry about, right? It's probably just a phase they're going through. Or another option would be, you know, I'm busy studying. Most of my Saturdays are spent studying and preparing for Sunday. I'm too busy at the time. Maybe I'll look at it later. And another option would be to say, because one of them looks pretty bad, it's probably too late to do any good anyway, you know. Why bother with it? Another option, being the spiritual giant that I am, would be just say a prayer and just go on and trust God. (laughs) But I elected another option, and that's mix up some insect spray and see what I can do to give those bugs a bath. (laughs) 
And by the way, I, I had to think about this. You know, it's not the first time I've done that, but I didn't do it. I hadn't done it this year. And I don't know if I did it last year. The first year, though, I was really diligent about it. So if I'd acted sooner, it probably would have been better. Here's the point. The thing that motivated me to do something was I saw something that alarmed me or concerned me. And it, it's when we, you know, move from denial to recognizing, hey, there really is a problem here. We're kind of stepping in the right direction. One thing that keeps people from desperation is denial. Another thing that keeps people from desperation is self-reliance. I can fix this. We hear it all the time. I can pull myself out of this. Somehow I can find a way to get through this. Nothing wrong that I can't take care of. While month after month, year after year, people continue to go in spiritual decline. One of the, I, I can handle this. I can fix this. A close cousin to self-reliance is pride. Too proud to cry out for help. Too proud to admit that we're wrong. Too proud to admit that we're drowning. We treat desperation as an enemy, but really desperation could be the best friend that we have. What is it? Let's look at our text in Mark chapter 5 and look again at verse 21. It says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship under the other side, much people gathered unto him, And he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Now, Jesus was surrounded by people. Much people surrounded him. What was it that separated Jairus from all the rest of the people? One simple word, desperation. He had a need, a desperate need. His only daughter was at the point of death. Once I had the privilege of leading a man to the Lord who had just gotten a report from the doctor that he had cancer. Cancer did not save him. Cancer got him desperate enough that he would seek for some help in his life. Desperation is not always an enemy. Sometimes it's a friend. For Naaman, it was the disease of leprosy that helped him overcome his pride and dip seven times in the River Jordan. For the thief on the cross, it was the prospects of immediate death and eternal damnation. Desperation motivated him to cry out at the last moment for salvation. For Barnabas, it was the hopeless and helpless condition of blindness. Crying out when people said, be silent. He wouldn't be silent. You know why? Because this was his chance to get some help. For Jonah, it was three days and three nights in a whale's belly that finally got him desperate enough to say, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad going to Nineveh. For my wife and I, it was the fact that we were about to lose our family. I was about to lose my freedom. I literally, honestly thought I was going down for the last time. One of the best places I've ever been. Desperation can be your friend. Perhaps you've heard a commercial or seen a commercial by the My Pillow man. Have y'all ever seen? Y'all know who I'm talking about? So many of you are grinning. 
I, I, I had the opportunity recently to hear an interview with him and Mark Levin. It was kind of a political interview. This my pillow man. I'm not. This is not a commercial for my pillow, by the way. <laughs> but this my pillow man began to talk about his drug addiction before he ever had this business. How he was losing everything. He did lose his family, I think, if I remember correctly. But he began to talk openly about how he found himself in such a hopeless place that he found Jesus Christ. His life was changed. He wasn't, he wasn't complaining about how desperate he had been. He was rejoicing in how desperate he had been. For the prodigal son, it was finding himself friendless, broke, away from his family, away from his friends, and nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go but to go home. You know, sometimes it takes a lot to get there. Unfortunately, a lot of people never get there. They've always got some other option. There's always got some other place to turn. Friday morning, when I came into the office, there was someone waiting there for me, and um, we spent some time together. I didn't recognize this person, but, but I'd known his parents. And since I had last seen him... He's gotten married and has five children. But the only reason he came to see me was because he's homeless, he's jobless, he's desperately needing help. And now for for the first time ever, he's seeing how wrong he's been. He left and he wasn't gone 30 minutes So someone else came to the office, someone I'd never met before. Wanted to know if we do marriage counseling. Because he's on the verge of losing his family. He said this, I was just driving one day and it just came into my mind, why don't you stop by that place? Maybe they could help. You know, it takes a lot to walk into a stranger's office and say, I need help. It takes a lot to say, I'm desperate. I don't know where else to turn. Desperation is not necessarily a bad place to be. As a matter of fact, fighting against it, trying to survive without God, really is a worse place to be. You know, I don't think I ever look at a person's condition and think, you know, I wonder if this is too much for God to handle. It never crosses my mind. But I sometimes wonder, is this person really serious about getting their life changed? Some people want help from their pain or help from their problems and relief from their conditions and their circumstances, but they don't really want a changed life. I've asked myself lots of times, for people that I care about, what's it going to take to get them to the end of their selves? What's it going to take to get them to that place where they're ready to do whatever, whatever it takes to get their life right? I was talking to someone just this week, not a, not a pastor, not a preacher. It was a, it was a lady, actually, who helps people, tries to help people where she can. 
But she was telling me about, take, about finding an opportunity for an addict. And it was what I would consider an ideal situation. It's a residential care place. They don't require money to come in there. They do require you get a job. And you have a support structure. And what a place. What a place to start over, right? But she said three weeks into it, he checked out. Not desperate enough, right? We look at this woman in Mark chapter 5. And in verse 27 and 28, it tells that she heard of Jesus And then she came from behind and touched his garment, pressed in the press behind, came in the press behind and said, if I could just touch his clothes, I'd be made whole. Now, just a reminder, we've kind of ventured off track for a little bit. Her disease was incurable. She not only was terminally ill, she was bankrupt. She had emptied all of her resources, but she believed that touching Jesus' garment could make her whole. By the way, just to, again, to accent her desperation, what she was doing was in violation of the Jewish law. If you read in the book of Leviticus, it says that her condition, she was considered unclean, she had to be separated from everyone, and anyone that she touched would be considered unclean. She pushed through a crowd of people... No doubt, surrounding Jesus, breaking the Levitical law, because what? Because she was desperate. Nothing could stop her from getting to Jesus Christ. You know, it begs the question today, do you you believe that Jesus is really the answer? Or is there some other answer? Maybe some answer besides Jesus. Maybe some answer that you have. You're not there yet. This woman's faith was simple and it was laser focused. You know, desperation has a way of focusing our attention. Getting our mind off of all these other things that are minor and getting our mind on the thing that matters the most. See, for the desperate person, the only thing that matters is getting help. That's all that matters. By the way, what a great place it is when a person gets to the place where they realize what I need more than anything in the world is I need God. What a great place to be. The Bible says in verse 29, she was immediately healed. And this touch of hers that was unlike any of the rest of the touches, it was a touch of faith. I think, I think the reason it's mentioned, as I noted a moment ago in the text, that she came from behind is because this anonymous woman wanted to remain anonymous. She didn't even come up to the face of Jesus. She came from behind Jesus. She didn't want to be noticed. She didn't, she didn't even care if he knew she was there, but she believed with everything that was in her, she believed, if I can just touch his clothing... I'll be healed. And that's exactly what happened. But Jesus knew it happened. Of course Jesus knew it happened. Jesus always knows what's going to happen. And so, in verse 31, 
Verse, verse 30, Jesus asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples, as we read earlier, said, Lord, we, there's no, it's not even possible to know this. That's amazing how the disciples, and we do the same sometimes, we tell Jesus how this, this is not possible. How do we know who touched you? But Jesus, verse 32, looked around to see her. And the woman, verse 33, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, she knew, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, this was not in private. We already know. We see this. It's obvious. There's a crowd of people everywhere. She didn't just tell him. She told everybody, this is what I needed. This is where I came from. This was my condition, and this is what happened to me. Jesus wanted her to publicly testify to what had taken place in her body. And Jesus said in verse 34, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Jesus could have just been talking about her physical need, but I don't necessarily think that's true. She's been whole. She's been completely helped. As we wrap this up this morning, I want to just say that the reason I spend all this time on this matter of desperation is because I think one of the things that keeps us in a bad place spiritually is we have a lack of desperation about where we are. We can live with where we are. It's not good, but we can live with it. We'll get by. It's not really what God wants, but I'm not desperate enough about it. I said this earlier, I said again, if you're not saved, and I'm not in doubt in my mind, there are people in this room that are not saved. You may not feel like you're in a bad place, but you're in a bad place. You're in a bad place. And by the way, you may be here and you say, well, I know I'm saved, but you're not, you're not anywhere close to where God really wants you to be. You're not in a good place either. Just because you got comfortable with it doesn't mean it's a good place. We see in this the power of desperation. Whether it's a person that needs to be saved or a person that just really needs to start taking their spiritual life seriously. I talk to people about their souls sometimes and they're just not anxious about it. It doesn't really register. You can't get saved until you realize you're lost, until you need, know you need to be saved. But, but, but believers, professing believers anyway, can be the same way. The feeblest excuse we use for not doing what God wants us to do, like it doesn't really matter. I'm telling you, the Lord alone can change our life. The Lord alone can save us. He's mighty to save. He can forgive us. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross is everything you and I need and the whole world needs to be eternally saved, to be transformed, to become a child of God. It's not in what we do, it's what God does in us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not about us, it's about Him. But for many, they're just not interested. They're not that interested. I think one of the things that some of us who are saved, and I put myself in that condition, I don't know what everybody else goes through, but I know what I think about sometimes. But one of the things that hurts us is we sort of outgrow that desperate need for God in our life. You say, but we're saved. I mean, if I died today, the worst thing that could happen is I'm going to go to heaven, right? 
But as I understand the Bible, as I understand what we're reading today, I understand the, the life, for instance, the testimony of Paul, others in the Old Testament, maybe like David and others. When we outgrow this sense of desperation, we're, we're outgrowing a place that God wants us to be. See, I know, you, I don't, I'm sure you know this, you could say this. When we got saved, I was desperate. I was desperate. That may not mean something to some people, but it does to me. He lifted me up out of the miry clay. When He reached down for me, He reached way down for me. I was a wreck. I was wretched. I was going down for the last time. Thank God I was. I'm glad my friends forsook me. I'm glad that I was left alone. I'm glad for the fear that I... I'm glad for every bit of that. You know why? Because I finally got desperate enough that I needed God in my life. But you know what happens sometimes? After you get saved, you sort of get casual. Like, I got this under control now. You know? Oh, I know it's not that good. I know I'm not really living for God, but it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Because it's okay to you does not mean it's okay to God. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for those you know. It's not good. I think one of the reasons we don't see revival is because we just can accept where we are. It's comfortable. Comfortable is not always a good place to be. Amen? I tell you, we need Him today. And I want to sense, in my personal life, I want to sense my need of Him. Like I needed Him 44 years ago this summer, I still need Him. I can't do anything without Him. I don't want to do anything without Him. When we outgrow our desperate sense of our need for Him, we're headed in a bad direction. Is it fair to say that Jesus comes to the aid of those who sincerely recognize their need for Him? I think it's fair to say that. That was the rebuke of Jesus Himself to the church at Laodicea. The rebuke. In your mind, he says, you have need of nothing. You're okay. I want to see revival. I want to see real revival among God's people. But it's not going to come because we're comfortable and we like where we are and we make excuses for it and we deny the condition we're in. It's not going to come. It comes to desperate people. Amen? Do you know the Lord? Are you sure you're saved today? If not... May God give you a sense of desperation about your condition. When I measure a person who, who, who wouldn't even bring themselves to walk an aisle to ask for help or talk to the preacher, they couldn't, bring them, they couldn't humble themselves enough, and I put it against this person, a ruler of the synagogue who got in the dirt before Jesus and said, please, please come help me. They don't sort of, they're not quite the same, are they? One was desperate, the other not so much. May God help us to be desperate.